Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word this morning to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. I'm going to read 17 through 30. Uh, but the focus uh, of the text, um, well, well, it will be the whole thing. So, I'm excited and really nervous. This is a passage of scripture that as a minister, you read a lot. You read in services a lot. I've never actually gotten to preach or teach it. So just look out. There's close to 30 years worth of pent-up excitement. (laughs) Take everything that we have done up to this point in the service and reflect on it, especially the passage from Exodus 24 as we read these words um, about the first Lord's Supper. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Father, bless these words to us. Help us to see and to savor Jesus Christ as as this amazing event is unfolded for us, an amazing event within history, an amazing event that is experienced and embodied in bread and cup, an amazing experience that continues to be experienced by your people when we come to you and when we eat and drink by faith. And so, Father, help us to eat your word even now that we might indeed find the satisfaction that you promised to your people. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We have been talking about the significance of our name. 
what's the big deal that we have identified ourselves as Grace Covenant Church? And so for many weeks, we have looked at the big picture of the importance and the significance of the covenant of grace. That's where Grace Covenant gets its name. It's from the covenant of grace within Scripture, within redemptive history. And we have been looking at that, and we, ha we have been marinating ourselves in this amazing reality of having the triune God of all the universe bind himself to us. Not because we are worthy, but because he is gracious. Not because we are sinless, but because he is forgiving. And because he is good, and he provides what we need. We have in this covenant of grace the most sure foundation. God has made a promise. God cannot break his promise. We have in this covenant of grace a most sure foundation because our side of the covenant is not something that we are called to fulfill for ourselves. It is done for us. And so we have a hero. We have a champion, one that was promised back in Genesis 3.15, one who would come, one who in the performance of the Father's will would have his heel struck even as he would deliver a head blow to the enemy. We noted that this has come to fruition in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus embodied the fullness of this covenant of grace. A fullness, of a reality that is hard for us to understand, but it is a fullness of God's grace. There is Nothing that is left out of God's grace in Jesus Christ. It is all there. And when Christ gives himself to us, the grace that is provided is this fullness of God's grace. And it is a grace, as we noted a couple weeks ago, which is not only a grace that brings forgiveness and salvation, it is a grace that empowers us to be followers of Jesus Christ. That the Christian life is not salvation provided by God's grace and sanctification being left to, up to us keeping God's law. That from beginning to end, everything about being part of God's people is about his grace. His promises, his fulfillment of his promises, and his generosity in sharing that fully and completely with us through his son. But this is an amazing reality of, of what it means to be part of the covenant of grace and that therefore to call ourselves grace covenant is a calling for us to know what it means to be this people so that we understand our identity and in understanding our identity we, we understand how to express that identity to one another and within this world that it is as members of the covenant of grace that defines for us our meaning in life. It, it defines for us our values, our practices. It defines for us our culture. It defines for us all of what God intends for us and all that God intends through us. 
What we are blessed with is not only having this grace that God has is, is, embodies for us and has a, accomplished for us. It is a grace that he has made visible to us. That every time we come to worship and we see the bread and the cup on the table before us, what we are seeing is a visible presentation of that grace. Eating and drinking are very important to God. Eating and drinking is very important to Scripture. Have you ever read through the creation accounts to see how many times within God's creation it is mentioned that, oh, and this is good for food? It said over, it said multiple times, and even for, for Eve as she encounters that first temptation, it is a temptation about food. It is a temptation about eating. It is a temptation in rightly recognizing, as we looked at weeks ago, that the, the fruit that she was told not to eat from, it looked delicious, and it was good for, for nutrition. We were told that. But she was told not to eat of it. But what did she do? She ate. She gave to her husband. And what did Adam do? He ate. And what was the result of them taking this, these, these, this beautiful food provision from the Lord and having this meal and cutting him out of it? What was the result? That humanity was plunged into this estate of sin and misery. The very beginning for this need of redemption came as a result of a meal that went awry. The covenant history. Has this momentous event at the very beginning. Where God had said, look at all that I give you to eat. Here's this one thing that I don't want you to eat. But here's this, all this other stuff. And the invitation was, eat with me. Why? Because life in the garden prior to sin was a life, it was an existence of peace between God and man. It was, it was a time of fellowship. It was a time of loving union and communion. There was nothing breaking that, that God had made them in his image. They were made in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. That Adam and Eve were holy prior to sin entering into the world. And that, that time of fellowship and communion, that loving existence of peace between God and man, that time of what the Bible calls shalom, wholeness, was a time that could be celebrated by Adam and Eve eating what God was providing with him in the garden. When they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not only did they simply choose to eat a fruit that he had said don't eat, they cut him out of the process. And they ate just within the two of them. And then in response to their, to their eating, what happened? They became aware that they were naked, and they did what? They hid themselves. 
You see the exact opposite of the existence in the garden prior to the bad eating and cutting the Lord out of that meal. They were together. They were unashamed. They lived within this fellowship, not only with God, but with one another. As soon as they fell into sin, as soon as they ate that improper meal in that improper way, what happened? They became aware that they were naked. They became ashamed. They started hiding themselves. And the hiding, we know, is not simply a hiding from God. It's a hiding from one another. And then when God comes, as we look, to say, what has happened here? What happens? They all start pointing fingers at one another. You see, there was an eating in the garden prior to sin that was an experience of love and peace and union and communion. Then there was an eating that broke all of that. Now think about that then. When you start tracing through the Old Testament leading up to this passage right here in Matthew 26 where you see the God-man sitting down with his uh, chosen leaders to eat with them. Now this is not the first time in the gospel that eating is talked about, right? Fill, fill in for me, fill, fill in the blank. The Son of Man came to, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Okay, to serve and not be served. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know what the very first time that phrase, the Son of Man came to, the very first time it's used? The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And why did the Pharisees hate Jesus? Not for many reasons. But what's one of the primary ones? He eats and he drinks with sinners. You see, eating and drinking is about, is, is an intimate thing. It's an important thing. You don't just sit down and eat and drink typically with just anyone, unless there's a special occasion. Eating and drinking is, is an intimate thing. It's an intimate expression of a relationship between the parties that are at the table. And the Pharisees hated the fact that Jesus did that with sinners. But if they understood the theology of sin, which they claimed to understand, they would have known that God had been eating with sinners throughout redemptive history. When God cut that covenant originally, uh, that covenant of grace originally, what we find is that throughout the Old Testament, there is a, an ongoing renewal of that covenant over and over and over again. And when we see this renewal taking place, there is always not only the words of the covenant being renewed, there is always eating and drinking between God and those with whom he's in covenant. It is not perchance that in Exodus 24, where we see the ratification of the old covenant between God and the nation of Israel taking place at Mount Sinai, it is not happenstance that that time of worship is ended 
by us being told that there was eating and drinking there in the presence of the Lord. You see, God, when he initiated that, that redemption of his people from Israel, what was the sign that was given to his people? Eating and drinking. Unleavened bread. A Passover lamb. Blood that was spilled. That's what goes back to that initial act of God in redeeming his people from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And that redemption that began in Exodus comes to a head on Mount Sinai as the Lord gives his law and the people say, everything that you say we will do. This is a covenant ceremony that is taking place between God and his people. God has rescued them. He has done great things for them. And he's made promises to them. And he says, so be my people and respond in devoting yourself to me and serving me. And the people say, we will do that. We want your blessing, so we will respond to that blessing with our devotion. And blood, the blood of the covenant, we are told, is sprinkled on the people. This is a covenant ceremony, and this is a ceremonial consecration. And that ceremonial consecration comes to a head with a covenant meal. Now, we see this throughout the Old Testament. Well, time after time after time, what happens is the covenant will be renewed and there will be a meal. And within the official worship of Israel, once the tabernacle was constructed and then later the temple, the height of the, of the worship that took place at the tabernacle and the temple was the peace offering. Peace offering was the only offering that when you brought the sacrificial animal, whichever animal it was, when you brought it, it was the only sacrifice of all the sacrifices where not only did the priest get to eat some of the sacrificial animal, but so did the worshiper. The only one. In fact, there are very strict instructions about who gets to eat what throughout the sacrificial system. And the whole burnt offering is an offering that only the Lord gets to eat. But there is this progression that as the Lord eats the sacrifice and that there, as the, the progression of sacrifices, you know, as they, as they escalate, it all comes to a culmination in the peace offering where God, through his priest, and through his people, are pictured eating together. You see, the peace offering was a fellowship meal that existed within the covenant community in order for the covenant community to enact, to embody the experience of what it meant to be at peace with God through the sacrifice. Now, why is that important? Well, notice in Matthew 26, what we are told is that this passage begins with an explanation that it is time for the celebration or for the feast of unleavened bread. You see this introduced in Exodus 12 and expanded on in Exodus 13. The feast of unleavened bread was the seven-day celebration in which the first day 
was the Passover. A lot of times today, when we get lost in some of the details, we tend to blend the two together, or we tend to only think about the Passover. But there was the, un, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was seven full days. The first day was Passover. What we find in Matthew 26 is that the disciples realize, oh, it's Nisan 14th, the 14th day of Nisan, the day before the celebration is to begin. Lord, where do you want to celebrate this? And he tells them. And as they come together, what they are enacting is an ongoing renewal of the redemption that God began with, with freeing his people from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And what is continuing is a call not only to receive the blessings of the Lord, but to redevote yourself to the Lord. Every year at Passover, leading up to this time as part of the Seder meal, it was a time of reconsecration and renewing that not only am I God's child, but I will serve him. I will live for him. I will reflect him in this world. And that's what was going on. It is not by happenstance that is within this portion of the Seder meal that we see in Matthew 26 that Jesus says, and by the way, one of you is about to betray me. One of you is about to act like Israel of old, right? Because the history of Israel is a history of celebrating Passover one year after the next, while quite often being involved in idolatry being involved in a split devotion, being involved in trying to serve Yahweh, but also serving the foreign gods, meaning that betrayal had always been a part of God's people. The betrayal of Adam and Eve is a betrayal that continues in Israel. It is a betrayal that continues even here amongst the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. And yet... Here we have the God-man sitting down to eat and to drink with sinners. Yeah, they're his disciples, but they're sinners. God has been doing this from the very beginning. Not because those who get to be invited to the meal are worthy to be there, but because he does everything necessary for you to have a place at the table. And so Jesus, in fulfilling what was typified in the Passover meal from Exodus 12 and 13, which was typified in the peace offering throughout the history of Israel, Jesus comes as the sacrificial lamb. He comes in bodily form in order to be offered on the cross and to have his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And here in Matthew 26, what we find is as the, the leadership of the new Israel, just like the leadership of Israel in Exodus 24, as they are meeting with the covenant Lord, as they are meeting with him, the covenant Lord seals what he is doing 
by taking the Passover meal and expanding on it to make sure that his followers understand that the Passover meal was always pointing to him. Within the Seder meal, as we find Jesus here celebrating that with his disciples, the whole meal was meant to move you to two things. One was the eating of the lamb as the final uh, act of eating, and then to a cup of redemption, which was the, last, the, the cup that, was, that you would drink right after eating the sacrificial lamb. And it was through the lamb and through the cup of redemption that the people of God were to remember his original provision from Exodus 12. What Jesus does is he takes that portion of the meal and he says, after they have already eaten the Passover lamb, which was the last thing to be eaten because that was the chief focus of their faith, he now gives them bread and says, eat this, not in remembrance of that lamb, Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he takes a cup. And that cup of redemption, which was meant to remind them of the blood that was shed by the original lamb, by the blood that has been uh, shed for generations since, to say, the blood that is now important for you is mine. And just like in Exodus 24, where the blood of the covenant was given to the people, what we are told by Jesus is that the cup of redemption that he is holding is now the blood of the new covenant. God's covenant program coming to its fulfillment in that final stage of the covenant of grace with Jesus saying, what you now are to look to is solely and completely me. You don't need the types and the shadows of the old anymore because the fulfillment of the new is now here. This is a beautiful presentation, once again, of the people of God who are unworthy to have God renewing his covenant in its newest and final expression in Jesus Christ and then providing a sign and a seal of that with something that they can handle, something that they can touch and see, something that they can eat and taste. A covenant meal celebrating what God has been promising to do and which he is now fulfilling in Jesus Christ. And that covenant meal just as it had been throughout history, just as it was at the time in which they were celebrating, is a covenant meal that you and I continue to receive by faith in which God continues to give himself to us through a sign and a seal that we can eat. Because what is pictured as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup is nothing less than what is already true of us in Jesus Christ. That Christ has restored shalom to God's people. And the eating and drinking that was done in rebellion is an eating and drinking that God has overcome and offers us a new meal 
once again inviting us, as he did in the garden prior to sin, to eat and to drink with him as a celebration of, as a participation in, and as an anticipation of God's presence with his people. Beloved, in moments from now, as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, what we are coming to is nothing less than once again that final stage of covenant renewal within God's people, where God, having called us to himself, where we have confessed our sin to him and be renewed in our identity as God's people, have been consecrated to follow him, and in all of this, giving, being given the blessing of a meal so that we can experience all this great theology that we talk about, all that theology comes to us in bread and a cup so that we celebrate who Christ is and what he has done, so that we participate in his life, in his covenant, even today, and even as Jesus says, that there is a time coming when he will not eat of the bread and the cup again until he returns, that we also anticipate a greater eating and a greater drinking when Jesus returns and where we enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb and are confirmed forever as those who are at the table of the Lord never to go out from it again. We left the table in Genesis. God has reset the table for us in Jesus Christ. And there is a time coming where God will secure for us that we will never leave that table again. Until that day comes, beloved, come to the table and receive him afresh. Be renewed in who he is and what he has done for you and reconsecrate yourself to devote yourself to love him and to love your neighbor. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we praise you that you not only give us promises and that you not only give us types and, and signs and shadows throughout history, but that you give us the substance in Jesus Christ. That all that you have been saying and doing has come to fulfillment in Christ. And to help us know and to, to reinforce our faith and to encourage us to keep pressing forward on the pilgrimage of looking for Jesus to return. You nurture us and you nourish us with a covenant meal. And so help us as we come to this meal to celebrate it. Help us not to, to come to this and, and enter into our, our, the darkness of our private prayer closets and start, you know, self-flagellation of, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Lord, we know we're not worthy, but you in Christ make us worthy. And so instead, help us to not focus on ourselves and our failings, but to focus on Christ and his success. And help us, Lord, and in celebrating this meal, 
Help us to see that we are, as we eat and drink this, that we're not just memorializing something from the past, but we are experiencing something right now in the present. And that what we are experiencing, Lord, is nothing less than an anticipation of what is to come. And so, Lord, feed us with tomorrow's bread today as we come to the bread of life, the heavenly bread that has come down to feed us and to nourish us on the way that we might be a joyful people who experience your peace and who invite everyone else to come and to to hear what you have done so that they might indeed also confess their faith and eat with you and with us. Lord, help us to see that in this bread and in this cup, there is nothing less than the life, love, and mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being shared with your people. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.